Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Well, good morning, church. I'm Doug Dorman. Uh, Tim and Karen are on their way to a conference with um, the Vineyard, their national conference. Excited about that. This year, the conference is split into two locations. The one in Ohio has already happened and was awesome from friends of mine uh, in Ohio who were able to, to attend. And uh, the, the other one is going to be a repeat and in Colorado. So they're uh, super excited about that. And Skip and Lisa are going to be going there as well. So I'd like to just uh, pray for them before we launch into the message today. So let's do that. Father, we thank you for... Uh, the opportunity for gathering together with the larger vineyard movement for Tim and Karen, Skip and Lisa. And I ask you to bless, um, bless their time away, refresh and renew. And uh, Holy Spirit, we invite you and welcome you to come and speak and change lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to talk to you about seven perspectives, uh, perspective changes to fix your life. You've always wanted to get your life fixed. Now's the chance. Today, seven perspective changes to fix your life. Now, my wife, Joan, uh, had a birthday this week. And in our house, it's not birthday day. It's not even birthday week. It's birthday month. And so uh, we began celebrating on Friday. Uh, That continues forward. My birthday, by the way, is August 1st. We both receive gifts. So you're welcome. That's uh, that, that's a welcome deal. And we'd love that. But uh, we have friends from North Carolina who came and brought a cake. And I have a, a good friend of mine who is uh, a baker. And he knows all about cakes and ingredients and all that. And I don't know much about any of that. I just know that um, you can have a cake without icing and you could eat it that way. I don't know why anyone would. But you know, the icing makes it sweet. Sweetens the deal. And so the passage I'm going to read this morning reminds me of birthday cake. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 38, uh, verse 39. Hebrews 11:39 says, and all these, now it's referring back to a list of saints who were faithful in following God. All these having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also uh, lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance The race that is set before us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Despising the shame. And has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Um. As we look at the previous chapter, Abraham is, is, says he is looking for a city that has foundations 
whose architect and builder is God. In other words, he's not living for time. He's living for eternity. He realizes this life does not provide the ability to satisfy the deepest, deepest longings of our soul. So he's looking not for an earthly city, but for a city whose architect and builder is God. He also, uh, it also says in that previous chapter, verse 13 of 11 he, uh, of Hebrews, all these died in faith. And it's talking about this list of, of, of faithful followers. It says, all of them died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Stranger Things was written long ago. And, and so they, they realized this life is not all that there is. There's more. There's more. And the more is the Older Testament saints were the cake and you are the icing. In other words, it's not complete without you. It's like a relay race, a 400-meter relay race, where three of the runners have run. They've passed the baton, but there's a fourth runner, and the race is determined by the fourth runner, and that's you. Now, normally when I make points in a message, I use we, and I'm using you today intentionally. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm part of you. It's a, it's a plural you, but it also has a singular application. And I want you to take this message personally today. It's about you. And the first fill-in is this. You are not alone. You are not alone. There's a cake that was made before and you're part of the recipe. You're part of the journey. You are not alone. The lie of the enemy is this. You're alone, isolated, and by yourself. But God says, no, you are not alone. You're part of a bigger plan. You were made for eternity and not time. John Donne, many of you have heard uh, a message that he gave in 1624. It was published in a, a sermon that he gave. We know it as a poem. I'll read it in its entirety. But this poem, No Man is an Island. Any, any of you have ever heard that before? No Man is an Island. Now, this was written, uh, published in 1624. No man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a piece of the continent as part of the main. If a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less. Now, he's referring to the, the European continent as well as if a promontory or a, an area of land jutting out into the sea, if a promontory were, as well as the manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. And therefore, never send to know to whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Now you can get lost in all that old English, the point of what John Donne was saying is, we're all going to die. And a common marker of death during this time of history was the church bells would toll and you would know someone has died. There was a the certain ring, there was a ring to it. Uh, of course, uh, um, Ernest Hemingway in 1940 wrote a book, For Whom the Bell Tolls, and um, that term, in fact, as I was reading this to Joan this morning, we were talking um, 
church bells, we heard church bells tolling at our home. And I said, don't send for who the church bells toll. You know, the point is we're all going to die. The bell will ring for every one of us. Are you ready for that day? Second fill-in is this. What you do matters. So you're not alone, and what you do matters. The lie of the enemy is this. Your life is insignificant. It doesn't matter. My friend Nate, uh, my son Nate, has a dear friend and an acquaintance of, of mine as well, who recently reached a point in his life where he felt... His life being insignificant, he would take his life. And he had attempted suicide. And several months ago, he's now living as a vegetable. And feeling that what I do doesn't matter. It's insignificant. And God says, no, your life matters. It's infinitely important. In fact, you were made for eternity and not time. To illustrate this uh, and to give you a picture of this, I've asked my friend uh, David Gubro to come illustrate Eternity. Um, so, Pastor Doug saw me do this illustration recently, and he said, since it's a rope, you need to wear a cowboy hat and cowboy boots and try to lasso somebody in the audience. I did it this morning, and I'm not going to do that, so you're all safe. Don't worry. Um, but I want to show you this illustration. It's one of my favorite illustrations. Um, and I want you to imagine, this is a timeline. This rope never ends. I know it ends, yeah, over there, under the stage, but you, you don't know that. This rope goes on forever, and we are right here. We're right at the beginning of the timeline, maybe just a few years in. Well, this orange right here, the orange part of this timeline, that's our time on earth. And speaking of perspective changes, seven perspective changes, I want you to view this orange part. That is our time on earth. That's our time that we're walking in the flesh. I see so many people, and I'm one of those. I'm not going to exclude myself from this, but I see so many decisions made right here just to affect right here. And I see lies made, relationships broken, conflicts inflicted right here just so something's different right here. What Pastor Doug is saying, what he's showing is that when we reflect God's love here, when we do things to point people to Jesus, when we personally are walking with Jesus Christ right here, it's not only affecting the rest of our time on earth, but it's affecting the rest of eternity. This brown part um, is eternity. There was a book and then a movie written recently called Heaven is for Real. And yes, heaven is very real, but so is hell. This brown is either heaven or hell. And the decisions we make here, based on our perspective, can change the rest of eternity. I just realized uh, Davis is a, um, going into his freshman year at Clemson, and that's why the rope is orange. I, it just dawned on me. Uh, yeah. The, um, I was meeting with a group of business leaders in North Carolina, and uh, we were in an office. There were about five or six of us at this office, and I was doing some leadership training. And the owner of the business was a multimillionaire, and the others sitting around the table were of means, and I was out of my depth, and uh, I just said to the group, I said, well, look, how many of you have a five-year plan? So everybody around the table raises their hand. Some of them shared, here's my five-year plan. I said, what about 10 years? A few more raised, you know, raised their hand. A few left their hands down at that point. I said, 20 years? The guy who owned the building, he, 20 years, yes. 
And I said, 100 years, all hands down. And I said, well, I'm here to talk to you about a leadership plan for the next 100 years. How do you have a plan that exceeds you? Or are you living for the orange piece of tape? Um, we're made for eternity and not time. This means you've got to let go of some things that are hindering you from loving God and loving others well. The lie is this. So the third fill-in is let go of things which are hindering you from loving God and others well. You're not alone. What you do matters. Let go of some things. The lie is you must hold on. You must hold on to the past, either in, in regret or pride. The lie is you must control the present and people and worry about the future. That's the lie. The truth is, let go of those things. Let go of anything that's hindering you. The sin which so easily entangles us. John Bunyan, four years after John Donne's um, No Man is an Island was published. In 1628, there was a guy, John Bunyan was born, lived to 1688. He was a Baptist itinerant preacher in England. Um, he was arrested for his faith during the time of Cromwell. And while in prison, he wrote a book called Pilgrim's Progress. It became the most it's the best-selling book other than the Bible um, that's ever been written. And he was, um, in this book, he talks about this man who has a dream. And in his dream, he has a burden on his back that he cannot get rid of. And he's on this journey seeking the celestial city. And as he's heading toward the celestial city, he's guided along the way. And he eventually comes to this hill called Calvary. And at that hill... He lays the burden off his back when he meets at the cross of Jesus. And his burden is gone. Letting go of the things that are hindering your life. Point number four. Just keep swimming. Do not give up. The lie is we should give up. Give in. Just quit. Quit resisting temptation. But you were made for eternity and not time. Winston Churchill put it more eloquently than I can. So let's listen to Winston. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or petty, never give in except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Of course, this was during World War II when he's writing this, and he's writing about Germany's invasion. And he says, never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Now, he's referring to a geopolitical state as the enemy, but we do have an enemy of our souls. Never give in. Never give up. And maybe you're not a World War II uh, history buff, so I'll bring it to the present for you. How about Dory in Finding Nemo? To reach P. Sherman 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney, you must just keep swimming. Don't give up. Don't quit. Point number five in your outline, get your eyes fixed. I went to the eye doctor the other day, and thankfully my eyes have not changed, but I do need these to see. If I take these off, I can't see Mark and Nancy there. Kind of, I can see they're kind of just everybody's a blur. Um, I can see up close, but I can't see at a distance. We're to fix our eyes. On Jesus. 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes upon him. The lie is, fix your eyes on you. It's all about you, what you want, what you think, or feel. Or as Toby Keith put it, I want to talk about me, want to talk about I. You know, what I want, what I think, what I feel. Not about you. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. I've got a friend who's a mountain biker, and I told him I'm terrified of mountain biking. I don't mind riding my bike on a street with cars going 70 miles an hour past me. That's safe. But going down a, a mountain, you know, there are rocks and boulders and trees and stuff. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm uh, no, I can't do that. He said, oh, it's easy. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, you just focus on the path. You keep your eyes on the path. If you look at the trees, if you look at the obstacles, you'll hit them. Now, this actually goes against my illustration because he recently was in a bike wreck. and he... I was nice, though. I didn't call him and said, you shouldn't have looked at the tree. You know, keep your eyes on the path. God invites us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. First Peter chapter 1 continues this thought. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, verse 10, it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. Now what's amazing is there are prophecies thousands of years before the time of Jesus hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, that tell when he's going to be born, where he's going to be born, by name, the town. They tell uh, what's going to happen in the heavens, the star of Bethlehem. They tell of his sufferings. They tell of his death. What's amazing is these prophecies aren't fulfilled by Jesus' friends. They're fulfilled by his enemies. You know, it's one thing to say, well, I manipulated my friends to self-fulfill a prophecy. That isn't what happens with Jesus. His enemies fulfill the prophecies that are given. There are hundreds of those. And the amazing thing, uh, that as it points to Jesus, is there are also uh, prophetic words that are given pointing to his return, his second coming. And Peter talks about later in this book, he says... Uh, there are those who are saying, yeah, sure, he's coming. Why, where is he? What's happening? This isn't going to be real. And he says the delay isn't the delay because God isn't returning. The delay is he wants more people in the party. He wants icing on the cake. He wants you. He wants me. And he's extending his return in his desire to see others reach from every tongue, tribe, nation. And so we see this uh, in, in Peter where he says the, the prophets wondered about what they were seeing pointing to Jesus. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. But you, in these things which now have been announced to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. To look. Therefore... Now, we always have to ask what the therefore is there for. It's there because we're part of the recipe. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Now, the term there is gird up your loins. Uh, there, people wear the, would wear these long gowns, and when they got ready to work or run or 
were at war, they would take the cloth and tuck it into their belt so that their legs were free to run. I was in Johannesburg, South Africa, not too long ago. We had less than an hour to make it through customs, through passport control, and get to our gate for a flight that left for Livingstone, Zambia, and that flight only went out once a day. So you don't want to miss that flight, um, especially after a very long journey. So we're running through the airport to make it. My backpack has uh, a snap that you can put across your chest to, to lock it in for just such, such cases. And it reminds me of this deal of secure and prepare for action. How do we prepare for action? Prepare your minds for action. Be sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Our final two points in the outline this morning are this: are these. Prepare for eternity. Prepare for eternity. Prepare your minds for action. How do we do that? Well, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says that God put eternity in our hearts. French philosopher Blaise Pascal put it this way. There's a hole that is in every one of our hearts that was created by God that can only be filled by him. Only be fulfilled by him. The lie is, it's not about eternity, live for today. But you were made for eternity and not time. There are three metaphors that are used specifically to refer for our relationship with Jesus Christ in the scripture. They are marriage. And I understand Riley and Ben got engaged from stage left here uh, yesterday. Marriage, birth, and death. And these are, these are three things that are mentioned in terms of our relationship with God. Um, the thing about marriage is it is a process of getting to the I do, but there is a point in time where the I do is spoken, and after that point, you're no longer single, you are married. With birth. Now, I have seven kids. It took nine months process to get them here, but they do have a birthday. Um, that process of getting here for nine months, I understand. I didn't have a lot to do with the suffering involved. Um, but the, the, there is a day, there's a time a person is born. The third analogy that scripture uses is death. And it talks about baptism being like death. That it's the burial, it, you stand in the baptismal waters dead. You're buried, you go under the water. You're raised to newness of life. It's a drama declaring the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, baptism isn't what creates the relationship with God. <clears throat> it's like my wedding ring, which is a symbol that I'm married. It doesn't make me married. It's a symbol that I am. Baptism doesn't make one right with God. It's a symbol that they've made a decision in time to follow Jesus. Our pastor Tim Holt often talks about May 1st, 1971, when Danny West at a surf contest in North Carolina led him into a relationship with Jesus. It was a point in time. Now, I don't remember the day that I gave my life to Jesus. 
I don't remember the date. I do remember the event. And I do remember on April 23rd, 1972, that event was sealed with baptism. How about you? Can you point to a day, to a point in time, that you can clearly say, on this day I said I do to Jesus? Now, if you can't, good news. July 14th, 2019, two days after John's birthday, you can cross the line. You can say, today, I draw the line in the sand. I'm giving my life to Jesus today. It's no accident. I don't think that the scripture clearly says marriage, death, burial, linking it with the relationship, our relationship with God. The marriage supper of the Lamb follows the event in the same way baptism follows the commitment. And so we have these promises in Scripture where God says, hey, you've got to be born a second time. You've got to be born again. And our last point, number seven, shift your focus from time to eternity. The lie is if you focus on eternity, you're missing out on all the fun. That's a lie. The truth is shift your focus from time to eternity to fulfill all that God has for you. Because you were made for eternity. And not time. C.S. Lewis. One of my favorite writers. He was good friends with a guy named Tolkien. And um, they would hang out at, at a pub in England. Uh, called Eagle and Child. Or affectionately called ba- uh, Bird and Baby. By them. And I've been there several times. And. They were friends and Tolkien was a follower of Jesus and C.S. Lewis was an atheist. Um, I've got two dear friends who are atheists. We've had many talks about Jesus. And as I've talked with them, like many Christians, they have an interest in science and they have interest in science fiction. The difference is um, the believer sees that as a product of helping prove our faith and their longing, especially in the science fiction realm, for transcendence. What's amazing to me is they're, they're looking for life on other planets. My, my two friends. They're looking and they're searching for, um, is there, is, you know, all of the superhero movies that they love. And it's simply a, uh, an attempt on their part. Is there something beyond this life? Now, as believers, we know that there is something beyond this life. We're built for eternity and not for time. C.S. Lewis put it eloquently in The Weight of Glory and other addresses. In this short book, he says it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Many people say, oh, your desires, you, you know. In fact, Buddhism says, if, if you, uh, the problem is your desire. Christianity says, oh, no, no, no. The desire is given by God. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. Lewis, picking up on, on this idea of desire, says it's not that our Lord finds our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures. Fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant 
by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. If you're here today and you say, I have no clue what date my life changed and I gave my life to Jesus, let's change that. Right here, right now. I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus. And it's as simple as this. I believe you died, were buried, rose again, ascended, and are coming back, and I give my life to you. And if you're here today and you don't know for certain, I tell you, the bell will toll. And you need to be ready. Good news is, there's a way to be made ready. God, I give my life to you. So let's close our eyes this morning. And if that's you, you're here and you say, you know, I really know a lot about Jesus, but I haven't ever, ever sealed the deal, made it clear, and given my heart to him. Let's do that today. And I just ask, if that's you, if that's you, lift your hand. Just say, yeah, that's, that's me. I know about him, but I don't know him. But I want to know him. Quietly, while the eyes are closed, heads bowed, just lift your hand and say, yeah, that's me. There are others here today that you say, you know, I've, I've already made that commitment. But as you went through the list of lies, uh, I believed a lot of those. And I'm not living for eternity. I'm living for time. And you can make that shift today as well. I want to invite us to stand together. Let's stand. And I'm going to lead us through a little exercise before we sing. And this exercise, don't be afraid. It's not jumping jacks. Um, It's for you to renounce the seven lies and announce the truth. So we're going to say this out loud. It'll go like this. I renounce the lie that I'm alone, isolated, and by myself. And I'll guide you through this. So, ready? I renounce the lie that I am alone, isolated, and by myself. I announce the truth. I am not alone. I renounce the lie. That my life is insignificant. I announce the truth. That what I do matters. I renounce the lie. That I must hold on to the past. Control the present. And worry about the future. I let go. Of the things that are hindering me. From loving God and others well. I renounce the lie. That I should give up. Give in. Or just quit resisting temptation. I renounce uh, thoughts of ending it all. I announce the truth. I will keep swimming. And not give up. I renounce the lie. That I have to fix my eyes on me. I announce the truth. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I renounce the lie. That I have to live for today. 
and I announce the truth that I will prepare for eternity. I renounce the lie that if I focus on eternity, I'll miss out on all the fun. I announce the truth and I shift my focus from time to eternity. We're going to close with a song and there'll be a worship team in the back for those who would like to receive prayer about any of those lies or about transitioning from the old life to the new. Prayer team will be glad, glad to guide you through that and they're back there at the cross. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.